Hello and welcome to Big Earth Energy. I'm your host, Dwayne Fields, and our mission here is to discuss all things sustainable thinking and action. It's important, it's complicated, and we can all learn more about what's actually going on, and more importantly, why. And to give you some information as to who I am, I'm a presenter and explorer, and I've been fortunate enough to have led many carbon neutral expeditions through some of the world's most inhospitable places. I also co-founded the We Too Foundation, a charity focused on encouraging young people from deprived areas to learn more about sustainable living and general climate literacy. We'll be speaking with experts from different fields of sustainable thinking and action to hear more about the work they're doing, why they're doing it, and what we could be doing to up our own environmental game. If you like what we're doing here, be sure to check out Twig, the people behind Big Earth Energy, who are doing some really cool stuff with their bank of things. So check out their app, which allows you to start your own climate action today. While making money, you'll be extending a life of items and ultimately actioning sustainable behaviors. You can find them at twigcard.com. The theme of this episode is up in the ante on body care, and joining us to explore this idea is Diane Chung from Melio. Hello, Diane, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dwayne. Thanks for having me here. Absolutely. I've been excited about talking to you ever since I heard the prospect that we could sit down and talk about Melio. So tell me more about the company. What is it? What does it do? How it came about as an organization, a community interest company, it was a collision of two worlds. So it was during the pandemic. I was working for a social enterprise at the time that employed people with disabilities. And then during the pandemic, just like everybody else, we were cleaning a lot. It was all about hygiene and being good to our family, to ourselves. And I don't know about you, but I'm not a big fan of cleaning. I choke on the stuff and, and I never read the warning labels. You went to wear gloves, you went to have the windows open. And there's a reason for that because they're toxic. And so I was gagging on these cleaning products. And I thought there's got to be a better way. And even when you go down the supermarket aisle, it's soul destroying. It's plastic. There's nothing else that you can choose from. And the dishwashing, cleaning and the um, hand wash categories, they generate 7 billion units of plastic per year. And that's just in the UK alone, one country. So it's, like I said, there's two worlds colliding, toxic cleaning products, plastic that is only 9% of is ever recycled, ends up in our bloodstreams. And then had been working for a social enterprise that was employing people with disabilities. And so I brought these two worlds together and um, partnered with a biotech company. And we do refillable eco-cleaning products, stain removal products. And we just launched the UK's first powdered gel hand wash as well. So we, we're taking plastic out of the equation. We've replaced it with glass, which is completely reusable. Our packaging is modular. So this bottle that you see right here, it can be used for a hand wash one month. It could be an eco stain remover the next. And this little pouch here is contains one whole bottle of eco hand wash and it's compostable. You said a lot there and Sorry, my yeah, brain's dude. very said, so, no, this is really good because 7 billion units of plastic, you said. Yeah, so you think about like all the washing up liquid, all the laundry products that you use, all the hand wash bottles, it's 7 billion units. That's a Nielsen number. And that's just in the UK alone. In my head now, I'm saying, okay, the UK population, 64, 65 million. So that's a lot of plastic for each household. You also said chemicals. And instantly I was thinking, well, I'm going to try and prove you wrong here. And I was thinking about, <laughs> I was thinking about all the cleaning products in my house and every single one of them has a warning at the back of it, even the stuff that you're meant to wash your hands with. And it's astonishing that we don't read the warnings that we should be reading. Well, they're there for a reason yeah. and we are accustomed to ignoring them. 
So cleaning consistently is equivalent to smoking a packet of cigarettes a day. Well, that's going to be my new excuse for not cleaning now. <laughs> Please don't use that. Use Melior. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I get home and before my Melior stuff shows up, I'm going to be like, look, I can't clean. It's as bad as smoking a packet a day. You're clearly really passionate about this. What's your mission? What's the company's mission? Well, we're here to fight injustices. So we're looking at eco-injustices, so toxins. Actually, most cleaning products have irritants and allergens in it, so you have to use gloves, et cetera, and it's not good for your health. They create VOCs, which are volatile organic compounds, which most people think when you smell something really nice in your laundry, it's actually not very good for you. It's perfumes and it contains allergens, which is not great for people who are sensitive to it. I've got psoriasis and I've grown up with it, so I've always had to be really careful about the products I use on my skin, and that's that's what sort of kicks out of my personal journey about ridding myself of all the toxins and such like. So, like I said, it's about injustices, eco-injustices, but also social injustices. So when I worked for this social enterprise that no longer exists, we won a can line, which is like the, I don't know if you know much about the can line, but it's the Oscars of the advertising world. As for a camper could steal our staff. We had the CVs of the staff on the packaging. We had free outdoor advertising. We had placements in the garden, et cetera. This is a big campaign, but at the end of the day, no one was actually stolen. And the people who I work with, my colleagues, they had degrees, they had abilities, but they just overlooked. There's just an existing sort of acceptable discrimination going on for people with disabilities, particularly in recruitment. It's obvious when you're speaking, because I saw this in your face a minute ago, when you mentioned the people you work with and you spoke about, you know, some of them are vulnerable and the most vulnerable, that they're a big part of what you're doing. How did that start? Disability can affect so many people. Like one in five adults of working age will have a disability and most of it is hidden. That's a massive stat. Yeah, but like anybody, your sister, your brother, your father, your uncle, you will know somebody who's been affected by this and has been discriminated against because of something that they didn't ask for. Some people are born with disabilities, some people acquire disabilities over time. And it's not only just physical disabilities, also mental health. I and mean, there's a lot in the press about mental health, but you tend to find that it usually is two to three disabilities that can exacerbate the person's situation. So it was a really sad situation, of course, what had happened in the social enterprise that I was working for. And people spiraled into depression. And it's been one, two years since that happened. And maybe five or six people out of the hundred have found a job. And so the mission of Melior is to address that injustice. Initially, just to get the people I was working with back, you know, working. Because jobs aren't just a source of income. It's self-worth, it's independence, it's not being reliant on the state or on friends and actually having that, like I mentioned, self-worth and you can't put a value on that. You said five people out of the hundreds that you worked with potentially got a job. How many people do you currently hire? So we have four people on the team. As a result of launching the new hand wash products, we've brought two people on board, but these are all on a part-time basis. I want Melior to grow and the only way the Melior is going to grow realistically is people, more people hear about what we do. And we've been really lucky, like in the last week, we just won three awards, which is amazing wow. for us. So we won with our stain remover, it won two awards. It was the best eco laundry product and best stain remover. And then our new hand washers were the single finalists for the best plastic free product. And you've got this really sweet smelling tiny bag. It looks like a, <laughs> a tea bag to me, but it smells awesome. It's compostable pout. It contains one hand wash. You pop it in your bottle, add a bit of warm water, swirl it around. And then within minutes, you've got a new hand wash. And then you just chuck this into the compost. So it, it ticks a lot of boxes. But for me, 
every bottle that we sell is an opportunity to create jobs for people with disabilities. And it's tackling eco at the same time. So this is a tiny teabag size of powder that you're going to fill your modular designed bottle with. And then you're going to add water to that. And now you've got a hand wash or a cleaning spray or whatever it is that you need. It's in this bag. Why aren't more companies doing this? Oh, I'd love more companies to do this. And that's what I, what I think people find quite surprising is you'd like to think, oh, you're a small company, you want to own this stuff. But actually, if we can influence bigger companies to take on some of the things that we're doing and prove that's what consumers want, then that's a win for us. Big companies aren't doing it because they're set up to do liquid in plastic bottles. Because for them, they've got economies of scale. They produce like thousands of these in a minute per second. Why would they want to be hand filling into a pouch? Because for them, you know, for some companies, they are taking the green agenda forward and some simply just aren't doing enough. There's one big sort of eco company that is now doing concentrates. And I was like, brilliant. That's what we do. We do concentrate liquids for all our cleaning products. But you turn the packaging over and it's got this big symbol on it. And it's, it's the symbol that, sh- and it literally shows you this is harmful to aquatic life. Like there are dead fish on that symbol. I'm like, why are we accepting this? Is it because, just like we said a minute ago, people aren't reading the labels. We just know a brand because marketing works so well. They've sold us this brand. They told us it cleans the black and white kitchen floor and it cleans the white countertops. We believe it. We use it. We're used to it. It's something we know and we trust, even though we shouldn't. Yeah, well, I guess in the days previous to now, the whole life cycle, consumers didn't have to consider all of that in terms of how the product is created, where the ingredients come from, what the packaging is, how it actually gets to the store or to your door. So there's the whole entire journey from like in the food industry, you talk about farm to fork. Yes. I'm not sure how you describe it here for hand wash. <laughs> yeah. But I think consumers are a little bit more aware now that there's more choice available, but we still have to fight against these titans. They've got big budgets. They can continue greenwashing. Not that all do greenwashing. There's a lot of confusion. A BCG did a study recently and it said that a significant proportion of people, 80% of people, do consider sustainability in the purchasing equations. But there's this big gap between saying it and doing it. With my kids, I've got two children. I say, we walk down the aisle and I say, none of this children is recyclable. It's scary, isn't it? Because you walk down that one aisle of that one supermarket and there's thousands of them out there and none of that stuff, you just can't recycle it. And the companies that do say they're recycling, half the time you can't rely on them to recycle all of it because as soon as it's soiled, it's, yep, we can't do that now. It's sort of like out of sight, out of mind, isn't it? But I, I tend to feel that the responsibility- I'm guilty of that sometimes. We all have, but it's the awareness that we need. You know, I think people are becoming more accountable in you know, the choices that they're making now, which I think is a wonderful thing. But there was a company, because I come from Sydney, Australia. Nice. And there was a company uh, called Red Cycle. And they used to recycle all the plastic bags from Woolworths and Coles. So these are the two big supermarket chains in Australia. And they right. went under in November and because it was found out that they were stockpiling because they couldn't recycle all these soft plastics. I was reading that a shire, which is close to where I grew up, the Hornsby, that they have actually had to restrict people who can come in and recycle because everyone's coming from different shires because their council can't recycle. So they have to bring their ID to prove that they're a resident. Like, it's ridiculous. They can only recycle one 40 by 40 centimetre plastic bag. That's restrictions on recycling, which is a good thing and being promoted. I don't feel that recycling is the answer. I do think it's about reusing things. So you mentioned about the modular packaging. So this bottle for Melior, it can be a hand wash one month. It can be changed with the spray gun and change into an all-purpose 
cleaner, which could be used on your windows and your floors and your mirrors, et cetera, and your oven, multi-purpose products. But I think that's the challenge is people's mindset about seeing something is we need to see that something has more than one purpose. And it might be surprising how many purposes it can actually have beyond why you bought it. This small, you know, a couple of grams of white powder, this would cost very little to transport in comparison to a massive two litre bottle of detergent, which already is just 90% water anyway, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. Well, because when, when we talk about carbon footprint, I think people's eyes sort of glaze over. Like, how do you connect this big problem of big organisations and companies that they're going to go net zero? And how do, what does that mean for me as a consumer? And when you talk about weight, that's one contributor. So uh, this is 25 grams, for instance, versus a litre container, which is chipped around from a manufacturing site, maybe in Europe, that's come to the UK and then goes all the UK roads, the different distribution centres. Refills have been proven to have a 70% less carbon footprint, like less carbon dioxide than a normal liquid product, produce less waste, 45% less waste and 65% less energy. And this comes back to the point about the whole life cycle of a product, for me, it starts at the design. So the carbon footprint of a product, 70% of it is decided at the design phase. But how much input does a consumer have in the design of an idea? The only power the consumer has at the, once it's, the concept is there is just the choice of I will buy it and justify all that carbon or I won't buy it and I'll go for another option. But that's a hard choice sometimes when you're worried about money and cost and expense and, you know, you're worried about convenience and all these things. Now, when people do glaze over, and I, and I see it all the time, the moment you mention carbon footprint, people oftentimes feel like they're about to be bashed. They're about to be made to feel bad about their options. When it comes to someone's carbon footprint or what they know, what they don't know, tell them off or make them feel good. What do you think? I think it's about education. The more that you know the better you can make decisions. Children these days are more educated about the environment. These kids nowadays are smart. They've got access to, to information that one, I'd have to travel to a library to, I'm giving away my age now. I'd have to travel <laughs> to a library to get that information. And I wasn't interested all the time in that, but you're, you're so right. They're so clever. They've got so much access to information. But the, thing, the important thing is the education is there and it's just making sure that we're educating them on the full picture. And then taking action. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, litter picking with them, just in your local area. And I've done this recently with a friend and people were thanking us for yeah. picking up the litter. And it's like, but everyone should pick up the litter. I come from, like I said, Australia. And we grew up, what was, it, what was the saying? It was, a, it was a song. It was like, always pick up your litter. Yeah. Always recycle. Never have the tap on because drought is a persistent thing. You come from a completely different part of the world to me but we have something very much in common. As a kid, we had to be so mindful about what we did with our water. We had to go down a hill a couple of hundred meters away from our house to one standpipe, which served the entire community. There was maybe eight or nine houses and the water would only run between like 5am and 7am. And that's where everyone would gather, turn on the tap, get our buckets of water and go home again. I know what it's like to have to not have a tap in your house and to have to be so mindful about what you do with your water. Water is scarce. So when we talk about environmental issues, you need, I do think in order for you to understand how you personally tackle it, you need to understand which particular area is most important to you. Yeah, well, think about this. We are a planet which is, you know, 70% of the surface is water, but less than 2% or, or approximately 2% is what's available to drink. 
from source. So when you say it's scarce, it's really, it really is scarce. Yeah. And on that point, the young people that I work with as part of the foundation, every single one of them have to do something to offset the carbon footprint of the journeys or the trips that we take them on. So we took a group of 10 to Antarctica. We had them calculate how much that cost in, in terms of their carbon footprint, the journey from their home to the station, the train ride, the time they spent here in London doing all the preparation work, the flights, the ship, everything. We calculated how many trees we'd need to plant. We started a forest. We had them doing things like cleaning up river systems, spreading information campaigns. They were doing rewilding projects, picking up litter, all of this because I know that if we instill these behaviors in them and it becomes a habit, it's not something you think about anymore. It's just something you do Natural. naturally. Can you imagine if everybody did that? If everybody offset the behavior? Can you imagine what a different world we'd live in? Oh, could, yeah, well, <laughs> 7 billion bits of plastic, units of plastic That's would have been- the be, UK in one year, right? Yeah. Well, there's, is it four garbage patches in, in the oceans now? The biggest one's the size of Texas. The one in the Pacific. The one in the Pacific. Yeah. You've yeah. got one in the South Pacific, one in the Indian Ocean. And if I'm not mistaken, there's one in the Atlantic as well. It's interesting, like, because when you talk about offsetting, I sort of go, uh, offsetting is okay yes. if it works. it works. So I don't want to get it up in arms, but there are a lot of brands that, oh, yeah, for every single X you buy, you we will plant a tree. But I'm like, is that tree still alive? Yes. Well, the key thing is we will be looking after our forests, but I completely agree with you. There's so many people that hide behind this offsetting agenda and offsetting basically for anyone who doesn't know, it's about you calculate what the cost of something is with carbon. So for example, average car is probably about 200 grams, 150 grams of CO2 per kilometer. Now to put that in perspective, one tree, you know, mature oak, will probably absorb about 20 kilos of CO2 per year. So if you do the maths with that, you can work out how many miles you've driven and how many trees it will take to offset that. And if you think a, a company's planting a little sapling somewhere, it's going to take 30 years for that to mature. Because when you do the maths as well, it's like, is it possible to plant all these trees given the agendas of different countries? So in preparation for today, I was looking at the carbon footprint of different countries. I love this stuff, by the way. Do you? I love okay, these stats. Geek, you, right? Yeah, I, I love the numbers. Go. So it's not a number per se. It's saying like China generates the most carbon yes. in the world. But when you look at carbon footprint per capita, which is per head, it's actually the industrialized smaller countries that generate higher per capita consumption. So this is Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Iran, Iraq. And 90% of their export revenue comes from oil. And then they make pledges that I think it was United Emirates that said that by 2050, 50% of the energy is going to come from cleaner sources. Right. I don't know. I mean, I think it's brilliant. These pledges are made, but it's sort of like, how do you tackle this problem? You've got the bottom up, which I feel is like the consumers, the, the ground, the people on the, on the ground doing the changes that they can make. And then you've got the top down, like government and business, making the right policies and having the right infrastructure, like recycling centers. You know, being able to recycle soft plastic would be a total big win for me. But also, you know, businesses. So what's the role of businesses? And everyone that I've interacted with, the focus on the UN develop sustainable development goals, which is brilliant. But again, it's just there's a gap. There's always a gap, but how are we going to close that gap is what I'm most interested in. If you like what we're doing here, be sure to check out Twig, the people behind Big Earth Energy, who are doing some really cool stuff with their bank of things. So check out their app, which allows you to start your own climate action today. While making money, you'll be extending a life of items and ultimately actioning sustainable behaviours. 
you can find them at twigcard.com. What does climate literacy mean to you? <laughs> if you ask me on the street, like yesterday, I'd be like, what? <laughs> it sounds really complicated, but if I sort of break it down, I think it's like normal literacy is a form of communication. It's understanding climate, climate change, or being able to have a conversation around it. But even deeper than that, I think it's about understanding the consequences of your actions and the impact it has on the earth. If I went outside the door right now and asked someone, look, what's climate literacy? I draw, like people would just draw a blank at me. Yeah. But caring for the planet, I don't think that's a complicated thought no. process. Let me ask you this. You're on a London bus. You've got three stops to go. It should take five minutes, but it's a London bus, so you know it's going to take 45 minutes. Right. I jump uh, off and I walk. <laughs> <laughs> Before you jump off, you've got three stops to go. It's going to take you five minutes. Someone beside you, you want to tell them how to improve their sustainable living. You want to pass on some information to them. What's the key things that you're going to say to them in those few minutes? <laughs> well, it's sort of an interesting conversation to have with someone because some people are not, don't want to talk about it because everyone's got different experiences and everyone's got different ideas of how you can lead a more sustainable life. So what I say, like reusing items, don't just recycle them straight off or, you know, turn the tap off, turn the lights off, we're not using it, wash on a cold wash, you know, don't wash unnecessarily, you know, don't have a half load, all that sort of stuff. That's what I do. They're the small things that I do, but it might be very different to somebody in a very different situation who might not have access to, you know, recycling facilities, for instance. So would you say salespeople who want to negate their responsibilities around sustainable living, they, they're the people that say, it's not my problem. I've got other things to think about. Well, I guess it's priorities, right? Everybody has different priorities. We're a cost of living crisis and I totally appreciate that. But I do think there are small changes that you can make that aren't costly, right? that aren't convenient. We're all looking for something that's easy and efficient, right? That's what we want. For people who want to negate, you can't, you know, they're in a particular mindset. I think, I think proof is in the pudding in many instances where people realize how easy it is to be sustainable without it having like a costly impact or inconvenience to your life. It's like a light bulb goes off in their head. Whose responsibility is it to make it easy? Oh, I don't I know. Think. I know. But it's, it's, so I was thinking this. I didn't have an answer. That's why I asked you. <laughs> well, thank you for asking that. I do think it's the manufacturers. It comes to the design process. So the whole, the whole premise of business is to meet the customer's need, right? And do it in the best way possible. And if our customer need is emerging, that we want sustainability, which is easy, accessible, and, cost, and doesn't cost that much, then it's on businesses to deliver against that. Now that I'm a founder of business, I realize that it's not a fair playing ground. Right. So you have large organizations that have big budgets, huge economies of scale because they're producing these things at a thousand units. So they're producing these at 10p a unit, right? Next to nothing. Exactly. But when you start employing people with disabilities or you're just doing things by hand or and you're choosing glass over plastic, which is infinitely more expensive, everything adds up. But the only way that sustainable things can come more affordable is if people start buying them more often. Is there a particular brand or company or industry that you think are doing a particularly bad job? You're welcome to name bad and shame. Bad job. No, I'm not going to name. You know, what benefit is it to name and shame? I think... There are movements. I just think the movements are micro. And yes, need enough that they can say we're moving. 
where I currently am with Millennial, we don't have any investment. Like I've received three grants and we've managed to get the independent and the metro and this is all through a pro bono network of suppliers. So PR, design, actually the packaging was designed by Anthony Biles who designed the Amazon logo. Like these guys are heavyweights in the industry and I've got this amazing pro bono network that has gotten Millennial where it is today. And I'm now at a point where if I want Millia to become more mainstream, I need to find investment. But investors, they want return on on investment. And you can't guarantee that yet. Well, I can prove return on investment, which is social impact, environment impact, and financial impact. But in their world, they don't look at all those three aspects because as an investor, what do they want? 10X? Do they want the next unicorn? Is it climate tech? Like, is it fintech? Money makes the world go round. So how do we make the world reevaluate value? So for me, if I had to name a bad, it's just that that mentality yeah. of social impact, giving it equal pairing, and it probably won't happen, but at least recognition that it contributes similar to how financial impact is generated. So I like to ask people who are cleverer than me questions and half the world, well, most of the world's cleverer than me. If I gave you a magic lamp, it will give you one billion pounds. What would your sustainable action plan look like? A billion sounds like a lot of money, but I don't think it's enough. So to put in perspective, the UK economy is 2.2, 2.3 trillion pounds. Now, that billion is about 0.04, 0. 0.05% or, or less than half a percent of that, man. So it's it really isn't a lot. Okay, if I can have a billion pounds and that would solve the single-use plastic problem, if we can solve it with a billion pounds, Recycling soft plastic, that would yeah, be your target. That would be it because I challenge you for one month, don't chuck it in your waste garbage. Right. Set it aside. See how much plastic you collect. Yeah, you, you know, you're right because I remember, again, being a kid and I feel like we're using a lot more now than we ever did before. I remember when we put out a single bin bag every week for the bin collectors and now we're filling up an entire big bin and a recycling bin. So we're using a lot more. There are, yeah. And anything that is a, like a thin plastic, a soft plastic, is incredibly hard to recycle. So where does it end up? It ends up at landfill or being incinerated. If I wanted to have an immediate impact, I'd invest it in finding a solution for that. Maybe one billion is enough, but maybe it's enough to get others to get chip the in a billion. rolling. Exactly. Yeah. Have that ripple effect. Right. So let's go back to my lamp, my magic lamp. You rub this magic lamp and you can be president of Twig World. What does your sustainable action plan, living action plan look like? If we talk about country level, that's about policies. And I'm not an expert in policies, but, you know, the policies and the infrastructure to make sure that we're not depleting our resources. So there'll be an action plan to understand, you know, where are we? Like, what is the true picture? What if you had three blank wishes? You can answer anything you wanted. What would it be? Well, the first one is definitely soft plastics. It always is because it gets my goat. It really bothers you, doesn't it? It does because I see how much. I used to collect it and take it to my local co-op because I had a little bin for you to put it in. And then we went there to recycle. They said, no, you can't. No, you can't recycle. You can't recycle it here because you're not a customer. I said, but we come in here all the time. I hate things like that. Yeah. But then, so, okay, so we went to a large like supermarket and had a big... Crate, you chuck it in. I'm putting it in going, yeah, I feel like I'm doing the right thing, but I'm sitting there going, I don't know actually where this is all ending up. A couple of years ago, I was in Jamaica. I was kayaking around the island, part of the first group to ever do it. And we got to this part, this mangrove beach. Well, I'll say it's a beach. It's a rocky outcrop. And it's really hard to get to. So no one's ever really set foot on this little part of the island before. 
can't go through the mangroves. You can't get there by boat because there's a reef and the reef's only an inch, inch below the surface. We got onto this land anyway, and I was so angry, disappointed. I reconsidered a lot of the things that I did because I sat down and I looked all the way down the beach and it was covered, littered with toothbrushes, with shoes, crocs, plastic buckets, bottles. If it was made of plastic and it floated, polystyrene, it was there. And you could barely see any of the ground along the tideline. So for an area that was untouched? Untouched. And it was completely covered in waste. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. Just think about all the toothbrushes you've ever used, like all the things as a kid. And you so guilt, like, okay, guilt only takes you so far. It's about taking action. action. Right? So this has happened in the past. I'm now better educated. And now I can make the right choices. And I can influence my children to make the right choices as well. Absolutely. Uh, you didn't tell me what wish two or three would be. <laughs> Single use plastic. <laughs> <laughs> Single use plastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, like I don't know. Um, well, you know what I'd love Melio to be. If I had to think in the future of what Melio would be, would be able to have, we, because we employ people here in East London to create our products. That it's like a little franchise that you can set up in different parts. That's beautiful of the country or parts of the world, so everyone could have their own Melio. So it, it completely detracts from the conglomerate model which is you mass produce in one location you ship it everywhere it's like actually you can create impact locally like local recite like reduce the amount of plastic in your local area you can employ people with disabilities and actually not have these toxins that are killing fish being used in households so if we could have that that'd be amazing i feel guilty sometimes about my carbon footprint and i sit there and i calculate and i know i'm always watching that thing on my car that tells me how many miles i'm doing and I think that's part of the reason why I do all the tree planting, because I feel a bit guilty. What in your life creates the biggest impact on your carbon? And are you doing anything about it? Be honest. Don't try and make me stay feeling guilty alone. No, no, no. Like yeah. I have a car because I've got kids and my fiance wants to get his driver's license. Yeah. If you don't have a car, it's very mentally you think it's difficult to get around. It's inconvenient. And I've said, actually, once the kids get older, and I don't need to ferry them on the weekend. That's it. Not having a car anymore. He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, like there's no need. So for me, if you had to define it as guilt, is for me, I, I needed to have it because traveling all around the weekends, it's just easier. So where in your life do you try and have the most positive impact? Well, it sounds like a gospel, but I just spread the word. I just yeah. talk about it in a really... Sometimes that's what it takes, isn't it? Yeah. Because some people care about it, but they don't know enough about it to take action. And it's all about that awareness adoption and implementation and taking the cash out of the pocket so that's it really i i sort of live and breathe but i don't impose on others because everyone's entitled to make their own decision and i'm fortunate in a position where i can actually make change i can make this powder to gel hand wash do you know what i mean I, I have the connections to make this a reality not everybody has it within you know their skills but everybody does have a skills right skill set that they can therefore use to do good. And that's what I want people to do. Use, what, use what's within your ability to make an impact. You are back to being president again now. You're president of this world. Um, you're having a, a dinner party. You've got one invite left. Oh, who's going already? Some really cool people. I'm there. Oh, I'm okay, there, cool. yeah, so I'm there. <laughs> so it's a really cool dinner party. All right. You've got the choice of bringing, I don't know, two complete polar opposites. You've got Trump over there dying to go. Please bring me, bring me. And you've got Greta Thunberg over there. Which one are you picking? It's hard. I mean, I don't, I'm not a real political person. 
So, I mean, I, I'm aware of the things that he has said and done in the state. So I wouldn't want somebody that's – that's because he's toxic, right? Greta, obviously, she seems like the natural choice, right? Because she can provide insights from her experience. So is your mindset in this more of a approach someone who's completely against the idea, it's not true, climate change isn't happening? Do you want to convert that person or do you want to preach to the choir? In this case, Greta Thunberg would be the choir because she's definitely behind beating that drum. Interesting, because I think Greta, she might actually give me more ideas of more that we can do, which would be beautiful. But I was always like a challenge, never said no to a challenge. And I think when people have hard views on something, it's driven by something else. And I want to unpick, like understand them a bit more. And maybe it's just something that they have assumed. And actually, if you can then go, wait, come with me, I'm going to show you something. And they just go, bing, light bulb moment. And then you see the demeanor change. That's a win for me because when I learn new things, I always want to spread it with their friends and family. Oh, my God. You know, it's like, and that's the impact of Melio. When people find out about Melio, they tell their friends. It's like the, they call it the network effect, right? That, I think, has more impact over time because it makes people think, oh, my God, what I thought was A is, in fact, B. And now it's changed everything up yeah, to B. Yeah, exactly. And I want to tell more people. Awesome. So coming to a close, do you have any recommendations, books, podcasts, films, anything, anything that you'd want someone to go to to get more information that might help them? Yeah, sure. I think um, there are so many resources out there, right? If you just jump onto Google, you can find out. But there's one documentary that I watched many, many eons ago. It's called The Inconvenient Truth. It had Al Gore in it. And that sort of just opened up, like, it's a documentary I hadn't seen. It didn't, not many of those documentaries existed at that time. And it just opened up the conversation. So maybe it's a nice, easy start point for somebody to sit and watch The Inconvenient Truth. But alternatively, like, I love chat GPT. Like, who doesn't love it? Any question that you have, just chuck it in. But obviously, understand that all the answers that you're getting are from the chat GPT is collated for a number of different resources. Everything's at our fingertips these days. I think it's easy to get overwhelmed by the amount of information. My advice is just to take it slowly. Inquire about things because you you once you start inquiring and start putting some queries in, other things will pop up in your brain. You'll be like, is it about carbon footprint? What does sustainability actually mean? I mean, the whole word sustainability means that we continue doing what we're doing, but is that the answer? No, actually, we should be aiming for net positive. So then you might angle towards, oh, what does net positive mean and how can I lead a more net positive life? So if you wanted to read more in depth, then I go into books. Diane, talking to you today has been so informative. I've loved every second of it. If our listeners want to find out more, where are we going to send them to? Oh, please go to our website. So it's milliolondon.uk. And we're also on Instagram. So you can also you know, read all about our story and where we came from, our fantastic products. If you want to check us out, please get it. Great. That was Big Earth Energy. Thank you to you, Diane, for joining us. And thank you to you, dear listener. We'll be back with another episode soon. Mm-hmm.